Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I'm going to basically just read through Psalm 91. How many of you have had Psalm 91 on your heart lately? Or for like the last month even? I mean, really, I had this idea to do this probably a month ago and just, you know, trying to find the right time to fit it in. And, man, I think God is just saying, let's do this. Let's look at this. So we're just going to read through it. I'm going to read through it in the New Living Translation because I just like the way that it's plain English. And when I do studies, um, I have several different study tools. But this particular one, what I did was I just went through on blueletterbible.org and pulled up, um, boy, I must have really scared y'all. There's, both of these rows are open. And, and just went through and looked up in the Greek every word in Psalm 91 this week and just looked. Because, you know, if you don't know how to do that, you can go to blueletterbible.org, pull up whatever passage you want, and click Strong's at the top, and it gives you all the numbers that's the original language. You can click on those numbers and it'll give you the, a, a more broad definition of that word. Sometimes the word will be, it'll mean something completely different than what the translators decided to use. You know, like when it says that if you don't bear fruit, you're cast away in, in John where it talks about abiding in the vine and bearing fruit. Well, it says cast away. That actually means to be lifted up. It's weird. You look at the definition, it's like, there's no castaway anywhere in here. What, what were they thinking? So I don't know what they were thinking, but learn to use original study tools. So I'm going to kind of expand this a little bit as we go through. But I want this, you know, just make this a meditative exercise for yourself. I'm not really going to teach. I just want us to kind of collectively go through this and just think about, you know, just kind of let it, let it marinate in your heart. Let it, let it, get in your thoughts, where it's not just, oh, there's some information. <clears throat> you start to feel this. This means something as we read through this. So verse 1, you ready back there? Toward the end, a couple of them are on, um, uh, there's more than one on a slide, but in the beginning, there's just one. So, <clears throat> and I've added some of the expanded definition. The Amplified does a good job of that as well. If you read the Amplified, in fact, that's your homework this week. Every day, read Psalm 91 in a different translation. Uh, and we'll post this up so you can go back and, and have these specific notes too. But so, verse 1, those who live or sit or abide in the shelter, King James says in the secret place, but it also is a hidden place, of the Most High will find rest in the shadow or the shade of the Almighty. So what's the picture there? As you live, so you think about in this hidden place, in this secret place, hidden, I'll give you some kind of, this is the way my brain works when I'm studying past scriptures. So you think, especially when you're looking at the old covenant, you have to say, okay, now that Jesus is here, now that the death, burial, and resurrection has happened, now that he's offered his blood for the removal of the sin of the world, and then he turns to the world and says, I offer you the free gift of righteousness. All I need is your acknowledgement of what I did, your faith toward me, your faith in my finished work. 
you say yes, then you are sealed with that spirit of promise. His blood cleans you, make, sanctifies you, makes you holy, and he inhabits you. And you are perfect and righteous and holy spiritually before the Father. It's not accredited to you. It's not put on the shelf and one day you will be holy and righteous. You are in this moment, if you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, righteous. You always have to remember that, especially when you go back and you read through Old Covenant Scriptures. So you see these keywords like secret and hidden. What does that make you think of? Where are we hidden? In Christ. So then you start thinking about over there in John... 12, where he starts talking about abiding in the vine. This is what we do. Remember, don't the, not change your brain for a minute. This is, I'm not necessarily trying to teach. I just want to create a sense of Christ in you today. You know, I, I want us to kind of do this abiding thing in Christ together. So, <clears throat> you know, you just think about that. I'm hidden in Christ. What does that mean? And like, we're in the shade of the Almighty. You know, you find a spot of shade. Do you ever find shade and it's not comforting or relaxing, you know? I mean, all things being equal. I know some of y'all literal people are like, I find some shade. It's, I got to go work. <laughs> I find shade to work. Okay. But think about that. That's the picture. We're hidden in Christ, right? And we're in the shade of the Almighty. We're in that comfort place. We're in that cooling place in Him, abiding in Him. So, verse 2, from that place is where we begin to speak. You know, I just see such a logical process in this. From that place of knowing who we are, resting in Him, abiding in Him, I declare about the Lord, He is my refuge or the person to whom one flees. Where do you go? Who do you run to? It's Him. If it's not Jesus first, if it's what does my accountant say? What does my mama say? What are my kids? You know, if anything enters your mind when you're dealing with a situation before Jesus, just take that idol off its pedestal, put your focus back on Jesus, remind yourself of who you are, get in the shade, rest, then deal with that stuff. It, it, you, you'll ruin it if you're not declaring and living life from resting in Christ. You'll be in your own efforts. You'll be in your own strength. You'll be in your own knowledge. You'll be in your own intellect, trying to figure things out. Even, even things that you know you can't control or make happen, you still take emotional control over it because we're not at rest in this shade. Now, rest doesn't mean inactivity. It just means we're not letting our hearts be overcharged with the burdens, the pressure, the tribulation. It's no, I know who I am in Christ. And this, this, that creates such a sense of peace that I am one with the Father. He is not holding my sin against me. I'm at peace. Now let's do this life thing. He's my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. Your know, faith is spiritual. Faith is a spiritual capacity. Uh, the word gift, you, you have to retrain your mind to think, when you think of spiritual gifts, it's not like a package that you were given, and, and it's like this component. It's like this concealed thing. Gift is the word grace. 
And grace, more than anything, has to do with a capacity. So faith is a gift. And it's not something that God just gave you one time. It's like, okay, I'm giving you my capacity to believe me. I'm giving you my capacity to live in this life and follow me like Jesus did. We, have, we live by the faith of Christ. It's not something that's like, let me turn the faith on. No, it's, no I, I have the capacity of faith. And for me to trust God, I have to have my heart in that place where I'm open to what's spiritually true. You know, man, I'm telling you, Christianity, we just got, we've got this wall between where we think we live and where we think God lives. And, and somehow we've got to dance around enough to get him to come through that wall into our lives. No, he, it's a capacity, not a separation. So to be in faith, to really trust God. Have you ever had those moments where, you know, you, you're believing God for something or you're remembering something or you're just in a thankful moment and, man, you are so confident. You're so emboldened toward him. You know, there's just nothing that could shake your resolve toward him in that moment on this issue. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's faith. How often do you actually operate in faith versus wish or just plain hope? You know what I mean? This is yes, this is not. I've put y'all in such a meditative state where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and see, here's the thing. This is the, Mike and I were talking about this. Spiritual truth, man, it, you can't explain it. You just have to present it. It's like art. Just present it in such a way where hopefully people will connect with the Holy Spirit, and then it becomes real. Now, that's the reason why he said, look, when the, when the new covenant happens and the church is set up, you're not going to need to be teaching each other. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Holy Spirit's the teacher. We just do this foolish preaching thing to get your heart open to where you will abide with Christ and operate in true faith, that spiritual capacity. Because when you're in those moments of confidence toward God, that's when that fruit is growing. That's when that, those promises are gaining weight. That's when those fruits are maturing and ripening when you're in that moment of faith, when you're in that moment of confidence. And it's not anything that you're doing, but it's everything about where am I with him? Where, how am I seeing him? How am I, where is my heart with God in this moment, in this situation? Am I at peace? Is he my refuge? Is he my comfort? Am I in his shade? See, because what we don't, I don't think we don't understand is that when you're in that place, that's when the fruit's growing. When you're resting is when spiritual fruit is manifesting in your life. Now, you may be extremely active and moving and productive while you're resting. I don't mean you just lay down and you don't do anything, but that's that paradox, you know. When you're working, when you are seeking to apply the Word of God to your life and you're actively seeking to believe, are you resting in that process? Verse 3, I love this. 
This is a promise. How many of his promises are yes? All of them. I love the way the NIV says it, 1 Corinthians 1.20. No matter how many promises God has ever made, they are yes. And they're not just spiritual. There are physical implications to these promises too. I've heard some grace teachers that say, yes, well, it's just spiritual. Healing is just spiritual healing for you now that you're under the new covenant. And it's not physical healing. Physical healing is not necessarily your right under the new covenant. It's spiritual. I'm thinking, really? Then why did Jesus do physical miracles constantly? You know, if God is going to give us a salvation that's only spiritual, and Jesus showed us the Father, there's a conflict. Now, you know, we build in all kind of crazy theologies in the middle of that, and we start judging God and judging ourselves and judging people and asking why and this and blah, 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 blah. You know, we get crazy over healing. But it's like, no, you know what? Did he say do it or not? I don't have to, I don't have to inject my carnal capacity to judge good from evil in that process. Let's just take him at his word. So, verse 3, he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly diseases. Think about that. Every trap. We are so worried that we're going to fall into the trap, a trap of the devil. It's like, God, I need to hear you. God, I need to hear you. God, I need to hear you. Helps. Yeah, I can't hear you. What's going on? What's going on? But yet we're like tiptoeing around because we think it's too easy to fall into the devil's traps. Like, we're, we're, we're more convinced that we hear the devil than we can hear God. What is up with that? The promise is every trap. This is one of those meditative moments. Every trap. Think about it. Keep your, keep your heart open during this today. Every trap. Every pitfall. Every scheme. He'll protect you. And from deadly diseases, including Ebola. You know, they keep coming up with these diseases. Who knows where they're coming from? I won't go into that right now, but... He'll protect you from every disease. Is that not what it says? He'll rescue you from every disease. Verse 4. He will cover. I, I love, there's a lot in cover. To build a hedge, put a fence around, to shut in. See, like, we think cover. It's like, okay, there's a blanket, but stuff can get in through the cracks, right? No, that's not the picture. A fence around, shut in, block, overshadow, screen, stop the approach, shut off. You with his pinions or feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Man, I'm telling you, you could sit on that one for a couple of hours. Do you, do, do you guys do that? Do you take like the passages like this and just sit and think about it? Yep. 
I hope you do. That's how it, come, that's how it becomes real. Th- that's how you establish your heart in the true character of who God is. You take this and you meditate on it. Because he's God. And he doesn't just speak empty promises. He doesn't just throw stuff out there to make you feel good. You know, I've got a couple of messages that I call uh, what he didn't have to do or something like that. I can't remember. Better title than that. But you think about it. You know, God could have created this place, said, here you go. Hope you make it to heaven. No, he didn't do that. He didn't leave us alone. Even when Jesus came, Jesus could have said, okay, now your sin's been removed. Now you don't have to do all that law stuff to spend eternity with God. Now you just have to believe. Hope your life works out till you die. By the way, I'm going to be nicer to you when you're dead. I mean, we think, right? It's like we have no problem thinking heaven will be perfect. No sickness, no disease, no lack, none of that stuff. It's like, ooh, we're just heaven. Why do we think he's going to be nicer after we're dead. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Well, how does a promise protect you? Because essentially what you believe in your heart... becomes manifested in your life. That's really kind of the bottom line. And there's multiple ways that that comes about. But, you know, even scientifically, and Jim went into some of that stuff, what you, they, they realize now that the heart, the physical heart, actually has more neurons than your brain does. And neurons are where you store memory. And even in your heart has the kind of neurons that stores long-term memory more. They've done heart transfer. You ever heard the story where the... the, the the, uh, the younger girl, or no, the, it's, a, it's a guy that gets a heart transplant and he starts having dreams about being strangled. And he can't figure it out, can't figure it out. Somehow ends up with a forensic, forensic uh, artist, sketch artist, you know, that works for the law enforcement that will sketch like your description of a criminal. And sketches this thing out. They run it through the database. They find this guy that has a record and they then link this guy to an unsolved murder where he strangled a, a girl, and this guy got the girl's heart. So the guy got a heart transplant, starts having dreams, and it's the heart of the girl that was strangled, and he sees the killer. The heart remembered. Is that amazing? I mean, that sounds like a sci-fi novel. A good one? (laughs) I think there is a movie kind of like that. I mean, you know, so so then then physiologically, what we believe in our hearts creates emotions, becomes ideas and thoughts, and those ideas and thoughts reinforce what we believe in our hearts. And it, it even the way your eyes and the way your recognition in the world around you works is it your your physiology will narrow itself to reinforce and validate back to you what you believe in your heart this is why people end up in the same kind of destructive relationships and marriages and jobs and all these situations like oh my gosh how did i end up here again 
Well, it's the image you hold of yourself in your heart. You are drawn into those kinds of situations. I mean, that, that's, that's crazy to think about, but it's true. So, you know, I, I'm saying that to say, why am I saying that? His faithful promises are your protection. So a promise is your protection because if you take a promise like this, he'll protect you from every disease. Well, what if you're one of those kind of people that every new disease that comes out, you're convinced you have it? You know anybody like that? So the way that a promise would protect you is, you know what? God promises healing to me. By his stripes, I am healed. Even under the old covenant, he said, you keep my law, I will put none of these diseases on you. We see it displayed in the life of the Israelites for 40 years they walked. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They didn't get sick for 40 years. Millions of people, not one cold for 40 years. Wow. Is God like better back then? I mean, did he change? That's his will. So you're one of those people maybe that runs those patterns of Oh, you know, immediately go to what's the world solution? What's, what's, what negative is going to happen here? Well, what does the promise say? Even if you don't believe in healing, at least believe that he'll protect you. Uh, and the very last verse says he, he'll reward you with a with long life. Just at least hang on to that one. If you don't believe in healing, at least take the long life thing, literally. And you you got to be well to live a long life, so. <clears throat> All right. Verse 5. This one was a really big deal for me. It was really interesting how when I was walking out my deliverance and trying to get to a place where, you know, these voices were gone, I walked through some pretty dark stuff, and eventually, you know, I experienced complete deliverance, but I would have night terrors so bad because I was hearing voices, literally hearing them in the room. And, um, you know, how many of you don't like to hang a foot or a hand off the edge of the bed? You don't, you don't have to admit that, but yeah. You, you know, it's like you hang it off the bed and you're like, where does the brain, like you lost your mind. It's like you feel like you're living in a horror movie or something. You just, and you can feel that hand already. <laughs> I'm scaring the kids, yeah. There's no fear, huh? No fear. No reason. There's the promise of God here. But I'll tell you, that this is, this is what I did. I ended up stumbling across some of these passages because the Psalms were very healing for me. For, I, you know, I, could, I couldn't really understand a lot of the teaching of Christ at the time, and I didn't get the Old Covenant because those guys were nuts back then, and God still blessed them. So I, the Psalms made sense to me. It's like, oh my God, I am under pressure. I'm about to die. Help. So I'd run across stuff like this. And, you know, I don't know what it was, but I just, I was sick of the fear and the terror. So I would literally hang my foot off the bed on purpose and, you know, I'd be so afraid that I'd be like shaking until the emotion ran its course, until then, until it was gone. And then there was a confidence. Nothing happened. I'm fine. You know, I don't necessarily recommend dealing with your fears where they create emotional trauma for you, but 
you know, for me, it was like, I've got to conquer this stuff. And it was this. No, I don't have to be afraid. I do not have to be afraid. People deal with this stuff. I mean, you talk to the counselors. Man, the, the nighttime trying to go to sleep for a lot of people, it's horrific. I mean, those of you that just fall right to sleep, you know, count it. Be very thankful. But those of you that don't, those of you that deal with this, your mind runs, you start getting... Maybe it's not you're afraid of some boogeyman, but you're afraid of life. You know, your brain goes into the alpha state about 30 minutes before you sleep. And when you wake up, it stays in that 30 minutes to a couple hours. It just depends on your physiology. But the alpha state is... Basically, your, your, your brain pattern is slowed down enough where you're conscious, you're awake, but you're not so much in that reasoning beta or, or what's the one above it? I forget. But anyway, you're in this place where you're more open to what your heart is serving up to you. You're more open to hearing the voice of God in those moments. And for some people, when they let the guard down, when the intellectual rationale goes away, the control goes away, then you're left with, okay, what's going on in my heart? You know, for some, it's like incredible sense of peace. For some, it's like you just lose control. You, you, even when you, some people wake up, and for that first 30 minutes to an hour, it's like you kind of think you're crazy. Now, I'm not asking, don't, you don't have to, you know, but I'm telling you, people deal with this stuff. You don't have to deal with that because you have the promise of God. Now, do you want to know how to get it to work? Well, that's between you and God. It's a relationship. Are you going to take this stuff at, as, at its word, at his word, and allow this to be your truth? Allow this to be that place where you abide and live with him. <clears throat> so don't be afraid of the terrors of the night. Interesting, that word night is gloom. I think it's terrors of the night is a, is a phrase, and, and it's gloom, the doom and gloom. All that, oh, man, I'll be nice. But the, you ever heard a gloomy message? The doom and gloom, the expectation. It's all going to hell, and it's going to burn, and you're going to get terrorized in the process. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Nor the arrows that flies in the day. Verse 6. Do not dread the, the, the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Dread, you know, that impending sense of rehearsing what it's going to look like when it shows up. This, you know, I thought about this disease that stalks in darkness. And this is where I was led. This may mean something different for you, but, you know, some people have uh, cancer in their family. Some people have all types of congenital diseases that run in your family. It's a genetic DNA thing. You know, not even just put the spiritual stuff aside, just physical DNA uh, producing physical issues. To me, I think that's kind of what he's talking about here, this disease that stalks in darkness. You know, because think about it. Back then, 2,000 years ago, they wouldn't have known necessarily about hereditary stuff. It's like, oh, this has been in my family for this long, and it's like, oh, this thing kind of lurks in the darkness, and it shows up in my family around this time, you know. You don't have to worry about that. Amen. Why? Because he said so. 
Is that enough for you? I mean, really, is that enough for you? <clears throat> now, for you, it may be different, whatever that disease that stalks in darkness, nor to the disaster that strikes at midday. Verse 7, though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Amen. Wow. Though thousands are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Now, this, is, this is a big one. But, but people that have such a burden for other people, people that have a burden for people groups. You know, you look at places in Africa or you look at girls in the trafficking situation. And it's like, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult thing to work through because you, you have to process through the quality of your life seeming unfair versus what other people are going through. You know what I mean? I mean, have you ever been in that place where it's like, gosh, I, I, I deserve to be less comfortable in my life because look what they're going through over there. Well, that's not God's will for them over there. And you being knocked down a few notches, physically or emotionally or financially, isn't going to help them long term anyway. You being healthy, wealthy, and whole puts you in the absolute best position to do something about those people you're so passionate about. But it's that paradox. It's like, you know, it's that sense of, oh, man. You know what I mean? So that's how I see this. There's There's thousands dying around us but it can't touch me. In fact, us experiencing the promise in the midst of something like that is an incredible hope for people. I mean, it's encouraging to sit there and watch Vicky encourage you. And, you know, she's dealing with probably one of the scariest moments in her life ever. Wow. <clears throat> These evils will not touch you. You believe that? Amen. Verse 8. Just open your eyes. <laughs> I love that. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. Now, that's strictly old covenant, but that is a future implication as well because, you know, we see the injustice in the world. We see people dealing with things. God's the judge, right? God's the one who takes vengeance. He's the one that makes the playing field equal at the end of the day. Everybody's going to bow their knee and realize, oh, Okay, I get it now. So, verse 9. And now, it's not so much conditional in the original language. So, it's not like you have to do something physically. It's more about where are you in your heart? Where are you in your beliefs? Where are you in your mind? So, the condition to experience these promises is not your actions as much as it is your beliefs. Your acceptance of this promise. Okay, is this true for you? I mean, do you really live in this place where you're resting in God's shade? You, you, you see yourself as wrapped and protected in God's arms. Do you see yourself that way? Or do you feel like you slip through the crowd? You're that one that, you know, you pick up the bunch and you're the one that falls out. I hesitate to give pictures sometimes because people will inject themselves into those pictures. Say, yeah, I'm the one that falls out. That's me. And then you start feeling, oh, I'm falling out. You know, <laughs> don't do that. You're protected. Draw a box. God's, you're in a box. You're, you know, something. We do that. You ever, do you do that? 
You know, it's like you're trying to meditate on something and then, and then this emotion creeps in and it, it pulls you away from experiencing it, the truth of it. You know, bring that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What was Christ obedient to? The death of the cross, the death of the grave, the penalty of sin, the brunt of God's wrath, you know, all that stuff. Put yourself in that picture to remind yourself who you are. So, verse 9, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil, and that word evil was anything bad, disagreeable, malignant, sad, unhappy, will conquer you. No sadness can conquer you. No plague will come near your home. Interesting that the word stroke is in there. No stroke, no plague, no disease will come near your home. Do you believe that? Amen. I mean, did God say that? Yeah. Is it not for today? Is it for today? Yeah. Are you the exception? I mean, does God want this for everybody but you? I mean, think about it. You know, we do these things. Verse 11. And, you know, Vicki saw this in the hospital around John. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now, the, the enemy twisted this when he came to Jesus. You know, he said, okay, why don't you throw yourself off here? God will take care of you. No, and he said, no, I'm not going to tempt God. I'm not going to willingly put myself in a position where God has to show up for me. Jesus refused to do that. We might need to meditate on that one a little bit. Some of us, we may not consciously put ourselves in a position where we think we're forcing God's hand to show up, but maybe the way we make decisions consistently throughout our lives puts you in a position where you're, you feel like you're having to force God's hand. Verse 13, you will trample upon lions or wicked men and cobras, dragon, serpent, or sea monsters. See there, Jeannie, you don't have to be afraid of monsters. You will walk on them and they won't even hurt you. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Verse 14, the Lord says, I, now, now he speaks directly and personally. I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. Now, see, he's trying to rescue and protect those who don't trust in his name. But because he's made man, given man dominion over this place, and he works in our hearts to manifest into our lives, he's not creating these external situations for you to learn and grow. The way God changes you is inside, through your heart, with the word. And it's up to you if you're going to respond and transform or not. God is not playing chess with the physical scenario going on around you to produce a spiritual result in your life. You can't bring about spiritual truth with physical means. Physical means can put you in a position where you will open your heart and allow physical truth to be manifested in your life. You see the difference? But God's not saying, okay, I need you to 
be a little bit more humble, so I'm going to put this guy in your life that's really going to make you be humble. No, that's dumb. God doesn't do that. God's a spirit. God works in your heart. You may find yourself in a situation where this person, you learning to deal with that situation in humility, allows God to develop humility within you. That's transformation. We've got a weird version of what we think God's doing, you know, under this new covenant. Even under the old, he would respond when they had made messes of themselves. You know, sin got to this place where it created so much chaos and destruction that it broke the firmament and flood happens. But in the midst of that, God protects and his wrath towards sin doesn't protect them in the process under that old covenant. I know that's like, that's a completely, I'm just laying these landmines out there, aren't I? All right, so verse 15, when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Salvation is deliverance, welfare, prosperity. That's another one people think. God doesn't want, God wants you spiritually prosperous. But that physical prosperity stuff, nah, you know, that's not really, that's not really part of what God wants for you. <laughs> really? Does God want you to be generous? You know, the question is not, does God want me to be rich? The question is, does God want me to be generous? So then there's this lovely passage. And this is in the New Living, and I didn't put this one up there, so you can pull that down, and I'll just read this. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Proverbs 19.3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Now, I, I bring that one in because what we do is we live like morons <laughs> and then we blame the mess on God and then we wonder if he's going to show up and do something about it. And that's not what he expressed in Psalm 91. You, you, you see what I'm saying? The condition of the messes in your life are not God <clears throat> trying to judge you and teach you a lesson. They are most likely a result of something external that came upon you or a decision that you made but in the middle of it, this is true. Is that how you see God? Because that's the way the world needs to see God, and that's what this place is about, changing the way people see God. How can you trust God if you think he's wrecking your life? Like God's definition of good is different from ours or something. God says in Jeremiah 20, 11, I have, 29, 11, I have good plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And, the, you know, so God didn't have to make these promises. I don't think I finished that point, did I? I interrupted myself. God could have said, here, here's the planet, have at it, hope you make it to heaven. But no, in the middle of it, he makes all these promises. You know, God didn't have to make these promises. He's God. <laughs> think about that. Here's your planet. Hope you make it. No, in the middle of it, he says, you know what? Have this. Be fruitful and multiply. And in the process, I will so wrap you with every bit of my power 
and put a hedge of protection around you and keep diseases away from you and keep lack away from you because I love you, because you're my child, because I want you to experience the quality of life that I have. He's made us promises so that we would be partakers of his divine nature. It's like we can go read Psalm 91 every now and then, you know, once or twice a year and think, oh, yeah, that's really good. Or we can live in it. Which one do you want? Because I'm telling you, when you protect your mind and your heart with, when, that's, when, when God's promises are your armor, your heart will be open toward Him. You will hear His direction more clearly, maybe not necessarily audibly or intellectually, but your heart will be in that position to be led by Him naturally when your armor is His promises. So you make His promises your armor, what you put on, how you see yourself, what you think about. You put on that helmet of salvation. I am saved. I am healed. I am made whole. You put on that breastplate of righteousness. The, pr- the promises are the protection because when you are focused on that stuff, your heart will be open to it more than you ever thought you could be. And you, you don't have to force it and make it happen. It's by His Spirit, not by power. Not by might, but by his spirit. His spirit and his kingdom becomes established and manifested in your life. But your responsibility is to abide in that shade. And I think this is how you do it. One way, at least. Some of you, it may be you go fishing. You ride your motorcycle. Whatever it is, whatever puts you in that place where you're aware of the the awesomeness of God. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for making the promise.